Hello and welcome to Able Voices podcast that talks about the intersection of the arts, accessibility, and social justice. My name is Adrian Anantuan. I am a violinist who grew up with a disability. I'm going to self-describe myself right now. I'm an Asian male with a sweater that is blue. It is raining a little bit outside behind me on a gloomy day in Boston, and I'm smiling today because I have the distinct honor of introducing and having a conversation with the founder and executive director of Abilities Dance Boston, Elise Patterson. Elise and I have known each other for, I think it's three years now, and I think one of our wonderful connections and intersections is the idea of using our art form for myself, music and dance for Elise, to be able to find ways that our identities as individuals with disabilities can be expressed, and also ways that we can amplify other voices in our field to be able to do the same. So welcome, Elise. Thanks for having me. So we've known each other for a while now, but for our audiences, they may not know a little bit of what you do. Could you give uh, an elevator pitch about Abilities Dance and, and what you do? Yeah, so um, I founded it five years ago now when I, as a professional disabled dancer, couldn't find dance opportunities for myself. And to self-describe myself, I'm a young black woman with braids and with red hair and wearing a floral shirt. And um, in the work at Abilities, it definitely has expanded beyond just my need to perform to include a multitude of artists across the country that aren't just dancers and choreographers, but musicians and composers and um, costume designer for humans and mobility aids and a team of folks to make the work accessible so that it is um, both offering uh, economic opportunities for disabled artists as well as representation that's much needed in this field. And then our community engagement work that is lectures on um, movement workshops or um, just talking about disability culture in the broader sense and, and making it applicable to the various spaces that we're in so we can continue to learn from each other and build more equity in our spaces. I love that idea of being in a continual framework of a learner and art as an act of humility and growth not only from our respective identities, but those that we're learning from in terms of their individual stories, uh, these dancers in particular who are uh, experiencing uh, specific disabilities and, and how dance is an intersection to that. Before we talk about a little bit of your current and future work, I'd love for you to take us back to some of your earliest experiences with dance and how that has changed and evolved for you over time as you've 
incorporated a disability identity uh, within your practice and also the organization that you lead? Yeah, so I've been dancing on and off since I was four. So earliest memories are kind of being the traditional studio, taking all different types of dance genre classes and tap and ballet and jazz and whatnot. And I think that um, in that space, already having an idea of dance that could be other than just being a, a young Black dancer in a um, majority white studio, um, and how um, some things, things that are seemingly small, like having pink leotards and shoes that didn't match my skin tone, that felt like other and so already having that kind of um, identity of not quite belonging in dance. And then when acquiring a disability, feeling as though it was absolutely not for me. And um, it took um, several years for me to be in a place that I wanted to dance um, and to kind of counter the messages and images I was seeing of what is professional dance and what can be dance and um, eventually incorporating more, um, not just incorporating different uh, accessible movements that work for my bodies and other bodies, but um, more uh, stronger equity messages that would hopefully be able to change mindsets in different ways, change opinions that could lead to change legislation and our more direct advocacy type of work and um, different things like that. So my dance journey has definitely really evolved and changed over time. It sounds to me that continual change and evolution is also related to the evolution of our communities and and the people that surround us. And you're talking about this idea of community and belonging, and then sharing that on a larger scale within the company, then externally with our audiences too. What does that look like in an Abilities Dance Boston show when you're talking about inclusivity, belonging, and, and community, especially from the process and, and the product? I would say that uh, in the process can definitely vary and based on the folks in the room, because it's always responsive to uh, the identities and the um, movements uh, that folks are really interested and engaged in. And I think that allowing that kind of fluidity in the process has really allowed for more um, equitable um, process that works for everyone. And in that, that is a radical act in and of itself, but going even deeper to kind of dive into themes that I or someone else um, in the company might be thinking of as far as more intersectional um, conversations beyond just disability, but also incorporating racial equity and disability and other uh, intersecting marginalized identities that a lot of us hold in the company. And so I think also in not just the process, but thinking of the product of the work, wanting to highlight those themes that we are not seeing in 
dance or not seeing discussed enough in dance? I think that the idea of art as a reflection of society plays a large part in your work. And you just talked about the idea of intersectionality. Can you explain a little bit to our listeners what you mean by that? And what are the resistance points in which it's difficult to engage in intersectional work? Why isn't this done more often? Because it seems to make a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah, um, intersectionality can definitely play, um, thinking collectively of the organization, not just me, of um, the various overlapping marginalized identities that we inhabit. And that can be thinking about um, either race and disability or race and gender and disability and um, all of the different um, marginalized identities that one can hold in space. And I think that um, it's easy for us because between myself and Andrew, we both identify as um, BIPOC, queer, trans, disabled artist, and that um, has allowed us to kind of create and move in a way that um, is radical in and of itself, but also inclusive and um, understanding of identities like ours and not like ours um, in this space and how we can better um, not just support and give um, the aids that are needed, but also to be able to tell stories. And that are really reflective of what a lot of us are experiencing in our work. And I think that it's not as embraced enough because folks just don't know. And there's not that wider um, cultural understanding of how for certain orgs that, for instance, might be really about racial equity and very um, committed and dedicated to that process, but not realizing how race and disability can um, further marginalize folks in this racial equity work or the racial equity work in itself, not having the access so that other folks might not be able to access that. And then that in itself becomes white supremacy. And I think um, it's just that lack of understanding um, that needs to be more known. Absolutely. And, And art in particular through dance or music is a way to be able to elucidate these themes and ideas in a way that can not only be authentic to the dancers that you're working with, but also to the audiences. I think that there is a sense that if we are going to explore radical ideas, doing that through the lens of emotions and and movement and the artistic disciplines that we engage in are both accessible and challenging at the same time. But it is different in some way than a passive individual type experience when you're reading a book, for instance, or or engaging in some type of individual pursuit. I think this idea of centering around community and groups uh, is part of not only finding a way to come upon shared understanding, but to understand that that shared understanding is comprised of so many individual unique perspectives that we have barely begun to 
dig into and explore. So I really appreciate uh, you talking about this. And Andrew uh, Chloe, who Lisa was referring to, is the composer in residence at Ability Stance. Can you talk a little bit more about that process incorporating music and and you were just talking about intersectionality. I think there is like a very cross-disciplinary aspect uh, to your work. and I'm curious to know more. Yeah, it's definitely exciting to um, have dance as kind of like this core part of the work, but also a multidisciplinary approach with a variety of art, um, including music. And so Andrew being kind of the a director of music who also supports a couple of other composers that we work with and allows for music that can really work for not just the stories, but also our own access needs, whether that be kind of adding a little bit more time for someone to be able to complete a movement um, or a quick change uh, or for someone to be able to add um, more bass and um, allow for deeper vibrations for our deaf and hard of hearing dancers to be able to feel those vibrations and move through it. Uh, so there's definitely this um, wonderful overlap of how music can assist in the accommodation of the work, but also in kind of really um, tailoring the the sound and the music to the uh, stories and the themes of the work that we're saying. It reminds me of the idea of universal design in some capacity where we're really thinking about diversity as the norm rather than the exception. And when you're incorporating that into your process, the artistic product becomes something that is an expression of this truth that can be more authentic and real than the idea, for instance, as a musician, that time has to be metronomic. If we're doing a waltz, one, two, three, one, two, three, our perceptions of time are never robotic. And the way that we navigate time through movement in particular, and then through music, and then dance, is something that I think is very apparent in in your shows and in the continual work that you do. I wanted to explore the concept of transformation for you because I believe that the arts have a power to transform those who are engaged in the process of the creative act and then also the audiences and the larger community abroad. I'm wondering when you hear the word transformation as it relates to your work, and this is a very open-ended question. What does that look like to you? Maybe you can give us an example. And what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think there are kind of two types of transformation that can happen in our work and um, this form of work in general, where there's the internal transformation and the external transformation. And I think the internal transformation is really um, both kind of a centering and having a deeper understanding of who we are, either who we are on stage as artists or who we are as kind of folks engaged in this equity movement. And that can happen with um, 
reading with deeper um, conversations of others in the space and how we're learning from each other and kind of that committed um, aspect of as being part of an equity um, advocate, making sure that there is that continual learning process and um, working on that journey. And then externally, um, having this element of ensuring that the art audience is transformed in a way that they're leaving with more um, understanding either of their own identities or other identities than they walked in with and to um, have a, a little bit further in their equity journey. And um, hopefully that little bit continues to grow and grow with our work, with other folks' work, and that they're able to move the field forward and move their communities into a more inclusive, more equitable way. You speak to this idea of internal and external mirroring themselves. And this idea of internal interrogation allows or gives permission for audiences to do the same. And when we talk about understanding as a framework of deeper questions, rather than coming upon our own biases and what we believe the answers to be is the heart of the work that no two people are alike. And there is space that needs to be continually held in being able to recognize the stories and the worlds within another person. And I think that your shows do that so well in the context of not only the performances themselves, but the themes uh, that they uh, talk about. I'm curious, what or where are you drawing inspiration from these days? And what is aiding in your process as you continue to create and lead organizations? Yeah, I think um, one's helping me is continually reading and reading from different sources, different identities, reading. I'm like, you got right now, The Spirit of Our Work by Cynthia Dillard is talking about um, kind of how um, that deeper understanding and remembering of um, Black ancestry and remembering of Africa as a, dias a diaspora and education has been really helpful in thinking about how um, I'm approaching different spaces as an educator. Um, I think reading in general just is helpful in allowing us to deeper understand identities and worlds that aren't like ours. And also just listening and learning from people and always being in the space of learning from people in the organization, people outside of the organization, and um, continually being a learner in that space. Beautiful. I know that you are a consummate reader and from a personal perspective, I don't know how you read so much, but it seems like if you follow Elise on Instagram, she is reading at least two books a week and and finding joy or providing some literary criticism upon uh, the works that she's encountering. I hope that you all have an opportunity uh, to follow her. We can provide some links uh, to this as we uh, wrap up this podcast. So in the last few minutes, I would love to hear about some upcoming projects and you can let us know how we can view or experience uh, your work, not only here in the greater Boston community, but 
uh, in the larger scope of the country and the world. Yeah, so we are currently working on our annual ballet this year titled Inversion, and that'll be November 4th and 5th at the Calderwood Pavilion. That'll also be live and live stream, so if you're not able to come in for any reason, you can also access it online during um, those times at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I am really excited about it because Andrew and I decided to kind of create our own story instead of recreating um, other ballets. And it's really diving into deeper themes of equity, like ableism and racial equity work and neurodivergence and a number of themes that aren't um, as touched on or ever touched upon in the context of ballet and um, redefining how we are um, representing ballet and the types of movements that are considered in that. And so um, I hope folks are able to check that out. Unlimited free tickets for anyone who needs it so that finances aren't a barrier because we just want people to be able to access the work. So, And this is my secondary plug for Elisa's work. I've been to several of her shows and they have always been phenomenal in terms of her attention to choreography, detail, the music is wonderful. The audio descriptions are as engaging and expressive as every other component of the show. So I believe that you will be transformed in ways that allow you to not only have an incredible evening exposed to incredible dance and technique and art, but also one that will allow you to continue your own internal dialogues and dialogues with others around the intersections, as Elise was saying, race, equity, arts, accessibility, and all these complex dimensions that really make the world a challenging but also beautiful place to be. So thank you, Elise. It's lovely to be able to connect to you. And please follow her on social media. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, find us online at berkeley.edu BIAAE or email us at BIAAE at berkeley, that's L-E-E, dot edu.